Our good Father, we ask once again that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and that it would be a light unto our path and that by it we would see Jesus, your Son, freely given to us and that we might be changed by him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So on an Easter Sunday like this morning, there's many different directions that we could go and that would be good. Uh, We could spend our time talking about Uh, the historical and theological and philosophical reasons for why we believe the resurrection to be a historical reality and something that is true and grounded in fact. Uh, We could talk about the resurrection's more cosmic implications, how new creation is breaking in here and now and will be fulfilled at a future time in a future way. But this morning I want to go in a more personal way. So every time I go to my parents, I pass over a bridge that takes me over an ocean inlet. And this bridge has different pillars that are coming down, that are grounding this bridge deep into the ground. And these pillars are are serving as the foundation. And so they help this bridge bear the full weight of all the cars that are going to pass over day and night, month after month, year after year. But these pillars have to also withstand the constant force of the waves, the changing of the tides. And even in that area, hurricanes are a common occurrence. And so it has to be built in such a way, this bridge has to be grounded in such a way that it can face uh, no matter what kind of storms are thrown at it. As Jesus was preparing for his death, he spoke to his disciples about the coming storms after his resurrection that they would face. He says, in this world, you will have much trouble. In other words, there are many storms ahead. There are many difficult days, many challenges where you will want to give up. We, to this morning, are in a very different place than we were one year ago. It's been a very difficult past 12, 14 months for all of us. And Jesus promised such difficulties. But he doesn't leave it there. He said, but there is more. But take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. And so Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus is the announcement of good news that our lives are meant to be grounded in. And there are two pillars of this grounding that I want us to focus on this morning. Two central resurrection realities that I hope will serve as pillars for you whatever storms life might throw at you. Pillars that if we live in and if we live out of will change everything. Resurrection reality number one, God is with us in all things. Resurrection reality number two, God is for us in all things. I'm going to take those one at a time. First, resurrection reality number one, God is with us in all things. While most of the world has moved digital, there are still many who hold to an older form of life. Watchmaking has been a craft celebrated and honed in for centuries. We many times think about how long doctors have to train in order to be able to practice. But there was a time in England where 
watchmakers had to apprentice for seven years before they could sell their very first watch. The care, the skill that goes into intricately crafting this watch with hands and gears and levers and knobs uh, took time. And for some, a watchmaker is a picture of how God works in our world. That God has carefully crafted this creation, fine-tuning it and honing it in. And then he, he leaves it to operate on its own and is distant and is uninvolved with the creation that he has made. He has no desire from that point on to interfere in any significant ways, but lets this creation function on its own. But the Christian hope that we celebrate and that we rest in is so different from that picture. God has a deep and abiding and personal interest in the creation that he has made. It's like a parent who, after a child has been born, cares, changes, nourishes, holds, feeds, guides, grows, and never stops giving. That's the kind of involvement. And we see this interest every page of the scriptures, every page of the Old Testament. And it it comes to this new level of God with us-ness in the birth and the incarnation of Jesus. We read, they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But we run into a problem. If, if Jesus is God with us, what happens when he is taken away, when he is resurrected, when he goes to be with his father and is no longer with us? Are we left all alone? Are we left worse off than before? Before Jesus was betrayed, he talked to his disciples about his needing to depart and be with them no longer. And he actually told them that it was better that he was going away because as he was going away, he could send them a helper. This helper would not be someone different or better than Jesus. It would be a more clear and powerful manifestation of him in his spirit. And so the gift of God's spirit poured out on the church and in the hearts of Christians is God saying to you and to I, I am with you always. First John 4, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Romans 5, 5, just earlier in this letter, God's love has been poured into our hearts by the spirit that's been given to us. That's closeness. And we need this kind of closeness because we have great needs. Our condition here in our text is described as one of weakness. Verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We're not like a watch that can just operate on its own and be fine. We were created as dependent and needy people. That's what it means to be human is to be dependent. We need help from the outside. But there's a specific focus here on our weakness and our need that is drawn out in verse 26. It says, we do not know what to pray for like we ought. If we're honest, so many of our prayers is us simply telling God how he should run his universe. We often treat him like a personal assistant. When we wake up in the morning, 
We acknowledge the things that we want to see happen today. Here, I'd like you to do this and this and this. And then if you're done with those, I'd like you to take this and this. Like a giant personal assistant. Or we, on a bigger level, if, if you were really good, here's what you would be doing in the world. Or here's what you would not allow to happen. But in reality, life is incredibly complex. So many moving parts, chain reactions, things impacting one another that are beyond our ability to grasp. And so I want you to think about this old Chinese proverb. Because despite our best efforts, we simply don't know what's best. The proverb goes like this. A farmer and his son had a beloved stallion who helped the family earn a living. One day, the horse ran away and their neighbors exclaimed, your horse ran away. What terrible luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. A few days later, the horse returned home, leading a few wild mares back to the farm as well. The neighbors shouted out, your horse has returned and brought several horses home with him. What great luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break one of the mares and she threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. The villagers cried out, your son broke his leg. What terrible luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army marched through town recruiting all the able-bodied boys for the army, but they did not take the farmer's son still recovering from his injury. Friends shouted, your boy is spared. What tremendous luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. The Bible tells us over and over again to bring our requests and our desires before God. That's what every good parent wants. But the Bible also tells us that our ability to see what is best is beyond our Ability. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but verse 27, the Spirit, here's the help, intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. To intercede is to speak on behalf of someone. It's to take up the case of someone else, to come alongside them and to be an advocate and to fight for the good of someone else. That is what the Spirit is here doing. That is this God with us coming alongside of us, advocating. And this advocacy doesn't come with cold and indifference like a public defender where a case that's been dropped on their desk and they just don't care a thing about it. What we read here is that the kind of intercession or pleading that the Spirit is doing is with groanings that are too deep for words. The picture earlier in this chapter is one of another groaning of a woman giving birth. Deep, emotional, passion. The the kind of intercession of the Spirit is one of longing, pleading, passion, urgency, urgency, 
at such a level that it cannot be captured in human language. That is the intensity of the God who is with you. In verse 27, he's searching our hearts to know the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is interceding according to the will of God. Searching our hearts. But what is he looking for? Is it like a police officer who's gotten a search warrant and is going to explore the depths, trying to find things that will incriminate us to bring before the Father, saying, see, I told you he was terrible. I told you they were just a mess up. The Spirit interceding for us is more like a doctor, scanning, testing, listening, learning in order to care, to help, to love. God is with us in a deep, personal way, passionately searching, pleading, always. But He is not just with us in all things, He is also for us in all things. So a little over 17 years ago, Katie and I stood up before a large group of people and she said these words to me, I, Katie, take you, Jared, to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as we both shall live. And at the heart of what she is saying is simply, I will be for you. Always. And that's the biggest promise anyone has ever made to me. To be for someone means that your heart is for their good. It means that your actions are for their good. It means that their best interests matter greatly to you. And I want to focus on one promise that God makes to us here. And there's a lot of other things we could talk about, but I want to hone in your attention to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What is being promised here? God is looking at his people and saying, I will be for you in all things. I will work all things for your Good. When we ask the question, what is all things? All things is all things. The good, the bad, the ugly. Every detail of life. Success and failure. Sickness and health. Marriage and divorce. Parenting and infertility. Birth and miscarriage, companionship, and singleness, vacations, and natural disasters, affirmation, and abuse, peace of mind, and mental illness, love, and loss, life, and death, all things for good. Oftentimes, watching TV, you'll see these commercials for a new medicine that a pharmaceutical company is putting out. And you hear this this soothing voice that is just talking about how rich and good and easy life will be if you start taking this drug. And you often see different uh, 
pictures of smiles and family together and happiness or they're mountain biking or hiking. And it's just this beautiful picture. Talk to your doctor about this. And what happens at the end of the commercial? Uh, The voice changes and it speeds up significantly. And it starts talking about all sorts of things that this other person didn't mention when they were talking about all the wonderful things this drug would do for your life. Side effects, warnings, taking this medicine basically is going to cause a lot of problems that you didn't have before. But we hope it balances out somehow. It's all in the fine print. With this promise God is giving, there's no fine print. I'm going to work all things for your good, period. The end. No exceptions. But what is our good? Here we have to be a little careful. Because when someone asks us what our good is, there's a lot that we can automatically load in there. Well, my good is merit, an easy marriage, house, two cars, 2.5 kids, Successful job, increasing wealth, beauty, nice vacations, new clothes, long life, no bad things happening to mess up the future. That's good. So the degree that God gives me this picture of life, he is for me. And if my life starts to deviate from that, then something is wrong. But God made us for so much more. And as we see throughout Scripture... Knowing him and becoming like him is our highest good. And joining in him with helping others to know him and become like him is our highest good. Is he really for me? Is he really for us? Who's this promise to? When Katie said those words long ago, uh, she wasn't looking at everybody in the audience. That would have been really strange. She made that promise to me. The promise that God is making here in verse 28 is to a specific people. It's not an umbrella promise that includes everyone. He says to those who love God. Now, it can be easy for us and be careful here to hear that qualification and say, okay, what God is saying is if I really love him, then he will be good to me. That's not the logic that's playing out here. God's love for us is never based on our love for him. Listen to the picture we're given here. Verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So foreknown, I've set my love upon you before the foundation of the world. Predestined, I have great plans for your good. Called, I will bring you to myself. Justified, I have done everything to bring you back and make you right with me. Glorified, you'll share in my glory my life and my joy. Theologians call this the golden chain of salvation. It's God linking himself to us in a secure and unbreakable kind of way. And while this is important, 
while this is a promise that is not to everyone, it is a promise that is open to everyone. This letter is written to believers, and so the audience here is to those who have faith in Jesus and trying to secure them in these pillars that God is always for them. But it is also an invitation to those who are on the outside of saying, do you want this kind of God? Do you want a God who is always with you like this? Do you want a God who is always for you like this? Then the invitation is free. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to be good. That is what the cross and the resurrection is all about. That is grace. That is the hope of Easter. Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why we call it good news. It's not advice on how we are to live. It is an announcement of what God has done for us. So who is this for? It's for anyone who wants it. And I want to end with this, a question of this great promise, all things for good to anyone who wants it for free. How do we know that God will come through on such a good and big promise? Here we're pointed back to Good Friday. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So often we live our lives, I live my life as as a child when I don't get what I want, I question whether my father really loves me, whether he really cares for me. Are you really for me? But... As a child, we forget things that are true. We forget the pains of labor. We forget the sleepless nights. We forget the constant thoughts that our parents have, feeding, changing, caring, all that goes in to caring for this child. And when God tries to ground us and help us trust in his faithfulness, he says, I want you to look at the cross because there I did what was most difficult. I gave what was most costly. I paid the highest price. And if if I held nothing back in my son here on the cross, bloodied, naked, humiliated, tortured for you, why would I hold back on anything else? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him graciously, freely, delightfully give us all things? The question of Easter is, is this your hope? Does your life depend on what happens, what happened on a Sunday morning long, long ago? Or is it just another cultural moment that we pass through together. The invitation here is to return to the Father through the Son in the Spirit to come home and to live securely in this resurrection hope, ending with this. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, distress, 
persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No. In all these things, we will face difficulties. We will face suffering. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God, we thank you for resurrection hope, for resurrection life, for resurrection security. Help us wherever we are, wherever we are coming from this morning to look to you with eyes of faith and trust that you have done it, that you are with us and that you are for us. In your name we pray, amen.